Kirk's so right. Like, people that get up here, we, we, just, we don't claim in any way, shape or form to have everything together. We're, we're on the, um, <laughs> the same journey as anybody else in this world of, of, of following Jesus and wanting to know more of his love for our life and, and more than anything else, when we get up here and, and, and where you, you make yourself vulnerable, it's because that your, your heart just, um, just longs that others would know Jesus and know him in all the fullness um, that is possible for them here on this earth before we eventually see it in its completeness, as we're going to talk about very shortly, in heaven. Um, I cannot wait for that day. Um, have you ever wondered what the overarching theme of the Bible is? Yeah, no, you can't answer. I, all right, it was actually your post that, that got me thinking about this, Gail. Gail has to. Um, sh- you can give the answer at the end. All right. The, 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 <laughs> but if I was to ask you, yell them out. I love to be interactive. I, um, I do it in my workplace whenever I do any kind of teaching, and I love it to do it here. If I was to ask you, it's a good thing to think about. If somebody who's not a believer said to you, "What's the Bible all about?" How could you could you give a one one line answer? I know it's pretty difficult to do in one sense, but could you just fire one off? What would it be? God's love. God's love? So going along, like some, a lot of people would quote John 3.16 in the, in the midst of that about what the Bible might be all about. If there's no right or wrong answer, go for it. Like often the season of life you're in will, will shift and change what you will say about this. So there's no wrong answer. Go for it. Far away. Well, there might be a wrong answer. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not. It's not. Like, that, it, what, what Junita just said is perfectly, um, perfectly right. Sorry, Neil? Kingdom of God? Grace? Deliverance? Redemption? Sorry? It's a guide to life? Yeah, good response. Yeah. All right, I read an interesting one this week um, posted by Gail. Uh, go ahead, Gail. What, 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 would you, what did you post this week? Is the, it's from Philip Yancey, by the way. Is the overarching thing of the Bible? God wants his family back. God wants his family back. Mm. Really interesting statement as you think about it. It seems very simplistic initially. But as I began to think about it, the Lord reminded me of a time um, where we went to Wet and Wild. It was actually with Kirk and Nick. And, and the kids, and we had Cobes. I can't, how old was Cobes when we went on that day? Two and a half, three? Anyway, Cobes love water. Kobe, my fourth son, he, he loves water, and he's not afraid of it. He, at that stage, he wasn't afraid of it at all. Like, head under, you name it, he'd go do it. We were at Wet and Wild, and we were putting all our gear down, and we said, said to the other kids, Could you just keep an eye on Cobes for a minute? So we put, put the gear down. Would have been 30 seconds. It couldn't have been much more. We put our heads up. Where's Kobe? We're at Wet and Wild. Our child loves water, is not afraid of water. We are completely 360 degrees surrounded by water. Where is Kobe? The panic that set in as we started to realise he was lost, I, I can't begin to tell you all the feelings that were running through me after about 30 seconds when I realised he's not within 15, 20 metres of us at the moment and I can't see him. The first thought was the pool. So I ran to the pool. I'm literally looking up and down the edge of the pool like this, looking for a body because he couldn't swim. So I'm looking for a body under the water up and down. Couldn't find him there. Panic's starting to really set in. The thoughts of, of a father as a parent of what I would do to get him back at that stage we're just starting to flood literally just started just started running i just ran as as far as i could they're calling lifeguards they're calling people um we're all in tears all the adults are starting starting to well up with and cry and as i'm running i'm thinking i all the things that i would do even if somebody had taken him to get him back like i'm pretty placid guy but the thoughts and feelings that were running through me because of my love for my son of what i would do to get him back God wants his family back. And the extent that he went to to get us back is the, the love that I had for Cobes doesn't even come into comparison of what God did to get us back and to win us back. Then on the flip side, there's this, this longing inside of each and every human being to belong. 
as much as our society is individualistic and continues to head down that path of all your privacy being um, your own and nobody should know anything about it, and, and to a degree that's right, but, but the enemy is also using that to a deep degree to, to, to isolate us. He loves to isolate. And look at all the technology. I mean, I've said it before from the front. You don't have to leave your front door to live anymore. You, you can know if it's raining, see if it's sunny outside just by going on the internet. You can see places across the world. You can order your food now. It's entirely possible to live life from inside your house, to be isolated and live in your own home. I saw yesterday, um, and with that deep sense of belonging, I coached my third son. He's, uh, yeah, we've got four boys for anybody who's wondering how many children I'm counting off there. Um, third son, uh, Nathan, I coached down to 10 AFL just around the corner at Pine River Swans. We had a great year, and, and yesterday um, was a, it was a fantastic finish to the year. I'm going to be a proud dad here, apart from Nathan playing probably the, pretty much the best game I've ever seen him play. Just tenacious yesterday in the rain. There was this one little boy, actually he's quite a big boy, at under 10s, he stands about here on me, and... Uh, hits his first year in AFL and we were, he, he was coming along but you know just when you're learning a new sport and particularly in AFL when, when you're a big tall guy, like it's a very agile aerobic sport, they're just continually growing into their bodies when they're big kids and, and they're clunky and, and the kick's all awkward and looks wrong and the handball's all wrong. Well yesterday we, we haven't been able to get him a goal all year I mean he could barely even drop the ball onto his foot and hit it to get it go through for a goal. Sometimes it would just roll in front of him when, he hit, when it hit his, the edge of his foot well, yesterday I thought, this is wet, this is, there's just no chance, we're not going to get him that goal. Stuck him in the forward line the entire time, and lo and behold, the ball goes down. We got him one chance, and I was like, oh, he missed it, he didn't get it. He, we got it down there again and, and later on in the game, and he picked it up and he was on his own. And sure enough, just that one moment, the ball drop was good, and you could see it. The ball drop was right, um, just like swing your foot, that's all you've got to do. He was literally me to those chairs from the goal line. He just had to swing his foot, and he was going to get a goal. It connected, and the ball went through. Well, the elation, the, the parents are jumping, we're all high-fiving each other. The kids are out on the field, and they're like, Jimmy! They just yelled out from the back line through the midfield all the way down the forward line. High-fives are going on. The quarter-time break, or whatever time it was, you know, I'm like, go on, boys, and off they run onto the field, and every one of them is around him, patting him on the back and just cheering him on. He felt like he belonged. You could see it in his eyes. That, that just a year of toil and work and trying to get it, he got it, and he just had that sense, I belong. I'm one of the boys uh, now. And it was just a fantastic moment, a simple illustration, but there is that deep sense of longing in every human being to need to belong. Can I speak something over our nation, about our nation in the midst of that? Um, if we can move past our nation, test this, if we can move past that sense of isolation where we do get to that point where there's like a need to belong, in our nation, sport is often the first place that people will go to find that sense of belonging. There is across our nation right now, I, think, I don't think it would be unrealistic to say hundreds of thousands of human beings involved in sport in some fashion right now as we meet. Be it little nippers, AFL, netball, basketball, NRL, you could, sorry? What them, union, yeah, union, soccer, you name it, baseball, it's all going on. Literally hundreds of thousands of people finding that sense of belonging through lawn bottles. <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Appreciate that. <clears throat> I might be going out a little far here, but sport is the bowl of our nation in Australia. We worship sport. We worship sport. So I throw that out there as a little tidbit to go... How do we get in there? How do we break in that culture? And part of the reason I say that is our family wrestles with that week in, week out. One selling hands the same. You, you know that 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 sense of getting involved in those clubs and being light, as we're going to talk about very shortly, and as we sung um, about this morning, being a light in our world. This wild belonging to family here, but breaking in and and 
and being an example and all the things that come with that. I just will throw that out there to you guys. But over the last few weeks, we've been looking at um, family through the topic of belonging. We've been doing this in a concentrated study in Colossians, and we're going to continue that this morning. Um, as we start that, I've got a little bit of, let's see how the, the homework's been going. Um, there's three things in the book of Colossians for those that have been here over the last few weeks, and they're like, oh no, he's going to ask us what the three things are. I am. I'm going to ask you, what are the three things that Paul is addressing in the book of Colossians? Does it, do you want to, come on. Do it fast. Kurt can't answer. It's not fair. <laughs> the three issues that Paul is addressing in Colossians. Gnosticism. Big one. Big one. Gnosticism. That sense of special experience, that, that there are some of the elite that have a higher knowledge and everybody else who has not had that experience and therefore doesn't have that, that higher knowledge is down below and there's a kind of a ranking system and so the desire is to continue to put yourself in a place where you can have those wonderful experiences and somehow climb the ladder. What else? Yes. Rituals and legal behaviours, um, becoming saved through rituals or legal behaviours, honouring those practices and, and drawing closer to God through those practices. One more? This one's the one that's a little more subversive, I think you'd say, through it. But Colossians 1 particularly, he attacks this very, very strongly. No? Jesus. Jesus wasn't Jesus was a God but he was not the God okay so these are the three things that Paul is addressing um Bernadette are you right to still come up Kurt, can we give Bernadette the microphone I like it when other people read the scripture because then you don't have to listen to my voice for more than than needed and it just breaks that up so Bernadette's going to read Colossians 3 verses 1 to 17 if you want to turn in your Bibles there thank you do you want a hand <laughs> good job you want my Bible, don't you? Okay. You well, I'm reading uh, from the message, so you'll have to tell me when I get that? to no, when no, I get to verse do... 17. All right, I'll do that. <laughs> this is actually I'm glad Bernadette's doing this. This is a fantastic translation of Colossians 3, 1 to 17 in the message. So go for it, Bernadette. Unfortunately, it doesn't have numbers. <laughs> Okay, Colossians 2, verses 1 to 17. Colossians 3. Sorry, Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Okay. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. Mm. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. 
It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you're strip, you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. A little bit more. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thinking thanking God the Father every step of the way. That's it. Thank you so much, Bernadette. Appreciate you doing that. And I still love your accent. <laughs> cool. In light of the things that we just talked about that Paul is addressing, is anybody else intrigued with the start of Colossians 3? Gnosticism and ritual thinking. And what Paul says, I'll just quickly read it in the NIV. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Kind of a little bit of alarm bells going on there with Gnosticism and ritual thinking, like the potential of heading down that direction in what he says, that, that kind of experiential, I have a higher knowledge than everybody else um, going on. Do you kind of, I don't know, I was looking at, man, initially, as I was working through this passage, I'm like, that's an interesting verse. So if I'm setting my heart and my mind, if I'm a Gnostic, I'm setting my heart and my mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It suggests to me that the world can't offer me the things that are up there, so I need to set my heart and mind on that direction and, and, and discard everything that's going on in the world. And, and that experience of heaven that experience of heaven, that's where I've got to focus, I've got to get that special knowledge. It would almost seem like it's going to fuel their fire, wouldn't it, that they can do that, that they've got an excuse to do that. And then if you had your rituals, well, set my heart and my mind on you know, purity, I've got to be pure before God, I can only get closer to God as I do those things that make me more pure. So I'm going to, I'm going to separate, I could see like the Desert Fathers had some great things, don't get me wrong, but I could see those that wanted to separate and go and hide from the world would love this passage because they can they could take it and potentially go and do those things and there's the key they could go and do those things it's actually not a danger because what paul is directly addressing exactly those the thinking of those two those two groups the point is as he says in chapter two you died you died the things that you try and do to get closer to God or that thinking has died when you submitted your life to Christ. 
The point that Paul is trying to make to them is there is no ritual or effort that you can do. That has died. And your life, the way you live, is now hidden with Christ in God. What can fish... And I had to actually... I'm, I'm going to honour him in this <laughs> to say I couldn't remember the order, so I messaged him through Facebook to ask him the order of these, uh, uh, these words. Because Ken uh, came and he brought a word. He's a, an American guy, for those that may not know, and he's had a close relationship with us in the vineyard for some years. We, we love him to bits. And he said, if you, you live from the... And I got, it right, I got it wrong, I'll be honest. I got the order wrong. Um, if you live from that do, have, and be... Um, so I do, so I can have, and therefore I can be before God. All that would make sense. But as we read on, the central issue is, and it, as Kirk said over the last few weeks, we died. So it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. That's the point that Paul is trying to make. When we come or came to Jesus, every aspect of our old self dies. It dies. And that is why baptism, and if you've never been baptized, I really encourage you to be thinking about that, that public declaration of acknowledging my old self has died. As you go under the water, I die. And as I come back up out of the water, it is now Christ who lives in me. I would really encourage you to be thinking about um, baptism. I don't know when our next one is, Kurt. When it warms up. Oh, that's soft. That's soft. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Victorian blood still runs a little bit through me. I probably could deal with the water a little bit for about five seconds. That'll be out. <laughs> um, encourage you to think about that. Be on that journey because baptism, the, the process of baptism, is good to get beside somebody you know and uh, who's been a Christian for a while, to get beside them and work through what baptism is, what it means. So whilst it's a little cooler and starting to warm up, you can go through that process and be ready for when we announce the date. I've got to point out about this passage also. Have you, can you see the classic now and not yet that is flowing? It pretty much flows through all the Colossians, but particularly in this passage, the now and the not yet. Paul is clear in this first section, in, in just before in, in chapter 2, he said, we have died. And yet in chapter 3, he continues to say, put off the old self. Like, so we've died, and there's elements of who we are that is still dying to Christ. So it's the now and the not yet. Does that make sense? Everybody's kind of looking at me. Do I need to go in a little further? Maya's waving at me. Was that me? Were you waving to me? Oh, it's to Caitlin. I thought you were on board with me and I'm good. <laughs> By the way, it's on recording now. You're right with that? <laughs> so we're dying, we're dying. And then there's also this sense that there is life and there's more life that comes through Christ that just flows throughout this passage. We continue to put on the new self. The old self has died, and as, as that wonderful translation said, it's literally like you've taken off the old clothes and we're reclothing ourselves with the, with the new clothes that, um, through Christ. All of the things of the world have died as a source of life when we die to Christ and our life is now hidden with him. Do not handle, do not touch, dead. Elemental spirits, dead. Sin, dead. Cultural practices and expectations, dead. Life, or as we have been talking about, Identity, we've been talking a lot about identity, is now with Christ in God. Those words, so simple. But if you focus on those first four verses, really hone in on them, really allow them to meditate on them and what they mean, they are extremely profound because as we think about where Christ is at the right hand of God, how can our thoughts possibly contain all that that means for us and all that, that, that Jesus has for us? Think about heaven. We're talking about heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and all that's going on in, up there. Our purpose now is defined by kingdom life which finds its completeness in heaven and its full, fullness in heaven. The second part, I can't help but ask about that, that passage. I'm sorry, I'm getting really warm up here, so I'm going to put off the old clothes. And, um, uh-oh, am I going to rip that thing, Kirk? I can't see it. Secretly, I just want him to play with my butt again. 
Yeah, that's on the recording too. See, that also happens when you get up here. You have gaffes. You just stick your foot right in your mouth and then you can't take it back because it's on recording. Um, secondly, the other thing I asked, particularly about those first, first four voices, blah, 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 that's on recording as well. This is going really well. Um, <laughs> setting your heart and your mind. Why did Paul say your heart and your mind? Why, why not all of your life? Why, why not every part of your life? Why, did, why wasn't he more broader? What, why was it those two things that he mentioned to set our heart and our mind upon Christ? Well, David, I th it was you, David, that spoke a few weeks ago and he specifically used the words as he talked about war and peace. This isn't all the reason, but part of it. The enemy attacks continually our heart and our mind. Why? And the heart and the mind are the engine room for how we live our life. That's where it all starts. Before you do anything out here, everything has come through here and here. It has. Even, even those spontaneous responses at times of the defensive mechanism or the ang it's a response out of anger, like that snap, bang, that's, a, that's an anger response. That's already happened. As quick as it was, it's already happened in here and here. It is the engine room. And that's why the enemy attacks that so hard. And that's why Paul says, set your heart and your mind on where your life is found. Set your heart and your mind on where your life is found. I want to step back a little bit this morning and focus on the first few verses. Sorry, wonderful iPad. I've gone and doubled up my notes. That's just brilliant. Yeah, so the first few verses, I, I can't help it. Set your heart and your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Because I belong to Jesus and all of my life is birthed from the reality of heaven. And that's where it finds its fullness in heaven and that's what I want to have on earth, more of on earth. So if I am thinking and setting my heart and my mind on things above, there are so many aspects and I know Paul gets right into a lot of detail about the old self and the new self. But what I'm trying to do is set the premise for for where we start, where the beginning point is for those things to flow out of our life. So when I think about my, my heart and my mind setting among Christ where he's seated at the right hand of God, what are the things of heaven? What are the things that are finding their completeness up there that I want to have more of here on earth? And whilst we could talk about, as he talks about in this passage, we could, we could talk about thankfulness and the continual praise and worship, as Kirk mentioned and started to talk about from the book of Revelation. You know, while we could spend time on those kinds of things or we could camp out on, on the purity of, of love in all its fullness that exists in heaven, this morning I really felt like the Lord wanted us to focus on presence, the presence of God. There is no place in heaven, there's no place here, but in all its fullness, there is no place in heaven that God's presence does not exist and finds its fullness. Revelation 22, 3 to 5 says this, The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more light. Night. There will, there will be no more night. They will not need light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. No darkness. Now that is, again, for us here, that's a staggering thought, isn't it? No darkness whatsoever. I would even go as far as to say, and I think it's fair to say, if that's going on, if, God, if it's all-encompassing and God's, God's source, he's going to be the source of light, is all through heaven, do you think there'll be any shadows? Would there be any shadows in heaven that's going on? I mean, that's how all-encompassing we're talking about of what is going on in heaven. There won't even be any shadows. For us, again, it's very difficult. Even as I stand here, Behind me, there's a shadow. I got a shadow. Generally, if there's a light, you're going to have a certain amount of shadow. 
uh, going on. It will be. He's so present. There will be no shadows in heaven. I'm going to leave your mind exploded on that one and you can contemplate that a little more. Why do I mention that? What does that have to do with such practical aspects that Paul mentions in Colossians 3? Well, if God's presence is everywhere in heaven, Jesus, in, in his great prayer, he said, your will be done where? On earth. As where? As it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Paul is saying here to set your mind and your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God because you belong to Christ and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Then I can live from the place where I know that I know that I know and with the seal of the Holy Spirit in me, I am a presence carrier wherever I go. I carry the presence of God wherever I go. And the things of my old self, as Paul speaks in Colossians 3, they can go. They can take a long walk offshore pier because I don't need them anymore because I have Christ and he is my life. And he is the truth of who I am. There's two things I want to quickly focus on this morning as we talk about um, being a presence carrier. And I was just so excited as worship's going on and then Kirk brought those words and all the things that I'm going to talk about were just flowing through that and, and Carol leaned back over to me before and she said, it's one of those mornings. And I was like, yeah, we're experiencing that. <laughs> it's fantastic. The first thing I want to focus on about being a presence carrier, first and foremost, is the gaze of heaven is on me and is on you. The audience of heaven watches you and loves on you every minute of the day. I've spoken on this before, and, but I just really felt like I was meant to mention it again, and I wrestled with the Lord about that. He said, no, this is where I want you to go. And I'm like, all right, that's where I go. You said go there, so that's where I'm going. When the Bible speaks of presence, it is literally, and, and this morning, um, Luke, you got your busted, man. You're, you're the one son I looked at the first. Come on, you've got to come up. Yeah, don't be afraid. I'm not going to, well, it won't be too embarrassing. I promise. It's not, man. Trust me. I love him. I wouldn't embarrass him. Um, um, when the Bible speaks of presence, now I can give you a demonstration with my hands, but it's more effective. Face me, Luke. Don't be afraid. When the Bible speaks of presence, it's literally this. No, just, I won't kiss you, I promise. It's all right. <laughs> Touch my nose. It's literally this. This is presence. This is what we're talking about. When the Bible, when you read... Sorry, you can sit down. Oh, no, actually, you can... Oh, no, you can sit down. <laughs> well done, Luke. Give him a clap. Have you ever sat in front of somebody and gazed straight into their eyes? Kirk mentioned it. Kirk brought that word before. Look into the eyes of Jesus. There is fire in his eyes for each and every one of you. Let's get practical. It's okay if you're not comfortable with it. You don't have to do it. Grab a partner. Somebody you know would be probably preferable. Come on. Or the person next to you. You don't have to go nose to nose like that. But just for a moment, just for a little moment, I want you to stare eye to eye. No facial expressions. Try not to joke around like that. Eye to eye. You, you guys aren't too... Come. You can do it, Dan. It's, you can... Don't need to talk because you're just staring eye to eye with nothing else. Oh, come on. Pink girl cheated. They kissed. <laughs> All right. How hard was that? It's pretty easy. <laughs> All right, Corey, I'm going to bust you now because you said it's easy. If it was so easy, what was it that after that moment, I will say there's always that moment of awkwardness when you go eye to eye like that. There is. There is. Why, why do you think that would be so awkward when you're eye to eye like that? What's happening? What do you think is happening in the midst of that? 
Yeah, go on, David. You can say it out loud. Yeah, you're really looking into the person. So there's trust, there's faith, there's got to be love, all those things going on. Is that what you experienced, Corey? And it didn't happen so fast. I'm glad to hear that. When you stare into the eyes of Jesus, you see into him and he sees into you. The old self is stripped away and the new self comes because he speaks the truth. That's the second thing. Luke, come on back up, mate. Or do you want me to bust Jacob? All right, Jacob, come on, mate. I know we laugh about this, but I really challenge you, and we may do this at the end. Have you ever thought about being that close to Jesus and staring into his eyes? Have you given space for that, for him to speak into who you are and the reality? Because if your life is hidden in him, wouldn't you want to hear from him and allow him to see you for who you are and for you to see who he is? Make room for that in your life. If I'm face-to-face with Jake, he can do it. He actually, I think it's a teenage spirit to go. There's something that kicks in. They actually have the determination when there's something that's not going right and you're like this at each other, a little bit at each other. I've noticed that teenagers, they can look you right in the eye, but there's a different spirit that's going on there. It's not, it's not I'm looking into you. It's like, oh, I'm looking through you. <laughs> Come on, let's go. But if I'm, if I'm face-to-face with Jake like this, if he simply does this, what can I do? I can speak into his ear exactly who he is because I'm that close to him. If I do this on... You're right, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Jake. Um, if I yell out on the footy field to the kids that are out there, instructions to them or, or well, you know, praise or well done, and I do do that a lot, well done, it can, the noise of everything that's going on around can muffle out the words of affirmation. And it happens a lot with 10-year-olds. They kind of like, oh, Scott's talking again, and I'll just go... And then I'll just run off and go do the thing I said not to do. <laughs> they pretend that they've heard me, and they'll just go exactly what I said not to do. Um, you gave me the thumbs up and, and ran... Anyway, uh, kids. But when I lock eyes, and when we're that close... The truth of who we are can be spoken by Jesus, not the noise of the world that's on around us. See, again, we're talking about where we live from, where our life is, not some high-end experience where if, you, if this happens, you're somewhat special, to, to the more special than other people. No, this is on offer to everybody. God wants his family back. And so where he wants to lock eyes, lock eyes and to gaze Onto, into every single human being that would, would, would willingly take it. Would just take it. It's not hidden. Our life is hidden in Christ because, I think partly because if we were... F- Look how Peter, James and John um, responded to Jesus in the transfiguration. I mean, does that necessarily mean that everybody would come to Jesus if, we, if our full glory was seen right now? I don't think so because it wasn't long that Peter, James and John who knew Jesus intimately had completely forgotten about everything that had happened on the mountain and were then fallen over themselves, particularly Peter with all these language and denying Jesus had completely forgotten about all that stuff. So does that necessarily mean if those things, if we appeared, like what's going to happen in heaven that everybody would turn to Jesus? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't necessarily think that that would happen. Anyway, that's a little side note for you. Again, maybe that was a rabbit trail. I shouldn't have gone down. That's the other thing that happens with preachers. We get on the rabbit trails really quick, really, really quick. But when we put the two of those things that I was just talking about together, it's a heaven-shaking event. When the truth of who you are is spoken, we kind of just sometimes, that's great, that kind of feels nice, but my goodness, heaven celebrates. Yeah, look at them go. Look at them go. 
Look at him carrying, look at him knowing the love of the Father and look at him experiencing the more and look at him locking eyes on Jesus and, and having the truth of who they are spoken into their lives. Look at the, the sense of belonging they have. They, they're getting it. The Father wants them in relationship. They're getting it. They're presence carriers. They're presence carriers. Then we move on though. That's the internal. But then we live in our world, don't we? And we carry the presence wherever we go. Because we are people of the presence, the eyes of men and women, so if the gaze of heaven is on us, so are the eyes of men and women and the enemy. That's the reality. That when we become alive in who we are in Jesus, it gets noticed. Whether sometimes it's, 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 sometimes it's very upfront, other times it's very subversive and you'll go, why are people responding to me like that? Why is that happening in that way? I've had it many times. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It's because you carry the presence of the living God. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, and as we talked about revelation and the light of God, what did Jesus say about us? You are the light of the world. A town on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You can't hide the light when you're a carrier of the presence. You cannot. You can try, but it'll be a really big internal struggle that'll be going on in the midst of you because... You're a child of God. You're a carrier of the presence. You have the seal of the Holy Spirit in you. The presence is going to flow out of you. He's going to be on you for other people. He's going to be in you for you and to love on you. He's going to be on you so you can then give that presence away to other people. An interesting thing that I wanted to talk about with, with that being a carrier of the presence will bring different reactions from people. It's going to. I wish I could tell you that just because of the, the purity of God's love and the, the majesty of who he is would just flow out of you and everybody's going to love you and, and you're going to just be able to lay hands on them and booyah, all their issues will be solved and, and healings will come and, and all of those things. I cannot promise you that. And, and it's not our experience. The reality is, as Kirk said last week, we're going to be a stench to some people and we're going to be life to others. That is what happens when you're a carrier of the presence. You will be a stench to some people and to others you will um, be a source of life and they will want what you've got. There will be times of blessing and there will be times where you'll be completely confused of why do I have to go through the process I'm going through right now? Why do I have to do that? You know, I, um, my experience in my workplace has very much been around that as a carrier of the presence. I've been focusing on this a lot. I've been reading a lot. I don't claim to be a Bethel person, but I've been really enjoying Bill Johnson's um, readings at the moment. Um, mostly because of this, this sense of the journey that the Lord has had me on about his presence and carrying that wherever I go. Um, I, I know it's here, but I'm, I'm really, really pushing to explore out there as well. I, I want all of it because it's not just here. I want, I want each and every person, and how can I do that and grow my sons into saying, Take the love of Jesus wherever you go. Take the presence wherever you go if I'm not exploring that for myself. The big question I have over my life at the moment, um, and it is Bill Johnson's question, is how much of heaven can I have on earth now? Now. So when we talk about the now and the not yet, I want to focus more on the now than I do of what is the not yet. But um, my workplace, I'm a public servant, um, and so um, I, I work in the midst of government, um, and it, it's a pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty, when, when you're a believer in Jesus, it's a pretty tough place to work. Uh, I talked about isolation, and, and, and that all happens uh, through that workplace. But 
I've been wrestling through a lot of things in the, of being a presence carrier and, and how do I release that into a place that doesn't even want me to talk about it and speak about it. Um, and I know we've got other public servants here. And as I have wrestled through that, I've, the, the Lord has called me into these weird places where I felt like his favor is on me, really on me. Like I, and he's been really close and I'm, I'm carrying his presence. And suddenly, like out of nowhere, I've been accused of, of, think, of certain things. I mean, I mean, completely blindsided by some, some of the things that, that came at me. I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like... That's just not even who I am. How do they? What's just happened here? God, you're blessing me. Like all these things are going on in my life, and yet, and I've got this 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 strong sense of of peace. And that's what Paul talks about is one of the keys of presence in Colossians chapter three. The peace of Christ will rule over you as that happens. And and I've got this peace, and yet these people are like at me all the time. What is going on here? And he stopped me and he said. You're going to be a stench to some, and to others you're going to be life. And in the midst of that, when you're a stench to some, sometimes you're going to be a threat. You're going to seem to be a threat to them because it's a challenge in what they're seeing in you and their life and their choices and all those things are challenged. And some people are not going to like it. They're just not going to like it, and you're going to be a stench to them. And yet the Lord said to me, bless them, honor them. You're in a season where the things that I have for you, they're coming, but you need to walk through this first before we get to where that is. Now, I can tell you that in hindsight, I had a peace and I kept walking, and that's the key, follow, as Kirk has spoken about in the last couple of weeks, again, when he got called to the church, you know, Jesus looked over the shoulder and said, keep up close, follow, and what's the exact wording he used? Stay close. And follow me and keep up. That's your man got it. <laughs> um, stay close and follow. And, and that's what I've been doing. And in the midst of that, so sometimes you're going to be in, in those places where you carry the presence and you're going to have to honor people that are not honoring you. And King David did this immensely, you know, with Saul for, what, 20 years. You, you know, the, the truth of who he was was not allowed to come out. Saul's, anyway, another rabbit trail. We'll leave that one alone. Um, and then in, the, in this place, like there was this, this role that I was really, I was fit for and, and I was groomed for and I was ready for. And when it became available without even knowing, this same, same person suddenly just shifted it to another person who it wasn't right for. And I was just like, oh, what? And it's a pretty big role. Like it was, it was really passion of mine and a pretty big role. And the Lord said, honor them. So I did. I, got, I had to get alongside that person and help them through the role that I wanted. So I had to, in one sense, be the two I see to those people that had the role that I actually wanted. And I honoured her, and I worked with her, and getting along really well with her, actually. And we, um, we together did a lot of good things, and she got to the point where she just naturally in herself said, you know, Scott, this is for you. This isn't for me. Now, this is in the government. This is... <laughs> This is for you, this isn't for me. I need to actually step out of this role and you need to step into it. Went to my manager and said, this is what I think. I got shifted into the role. Lo and behold, a few weeks later, opening, it, just, it just blew apart. This role just, as soon as I entered into it, on a national level, just blew apart. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, again, blindsided, where is all this coming from? It's the Lord. It's a carry of a presence wherever we go. And now, because I honor, I, I use the honor as a part of who I am, because that's what Jesus did, I honor, and now the, the reward came to me, and in the midst of that, the actual role, I get blessed, even more than what was going to be in, for the role initially. Um, got exploded and became a, a, a massive thing that we're doing within our, our centre now. And I'm like, Jesus, you're amazing. Now, had I not honoured her, if I did not realise the season I was in, that I was walking through with the Lord as the carrier of the presence, and this is kind of what I want to get to, if I had not realised the season that I was walking in with the Lord, I would have missed it. 
I would have missed the opportunity to be a to release the presence to other people, and I would have missed it. My encouragement, a part of my encouragement to you today, is realize the season that you are walking in with the Lord. Know it as a carrier of the presence, locked eye to eye, hearing from Him the truth of who you are. Know the season of life that you are walking through. We're continually doing that as a church. Lord, where have you got us? What's going on? What's happening? Where are we to follow you? Continually. Um, And that's why I love being here. It's a fantastic place to live life from. It is the only place to live life from. Just don't be afraid to enter into the season that you're called to. There's been a Facebook post that's going around and it kind of, it's... um, it has, I think Matt posted it, and it's got these two older ladies that are on this ride, um, and there's a couple of ladies back on the, on the roller coaster, and some looking grumpy like this as they're on this roller coaster enjoying the ride, and others of them are like, yay, going on, and the question is, who do you want to be? We had a similar experience as that as a family, and, and we took um, Kobe and, and Nate and Jake and Luke to SeaWorld. Kobe's this high, and he just doesn't fear it. He doesn't have a lot of fear, <laughs> that's for sure. We get on these, they've got a new ride called The Storm. If you've been there, it's their, their newest ride. And he's like, I want to go on that. And I'm like, really? You want to go on that? He's like, I want to go on that. So um, poor Nate doesn't have that same kind of enthusiasm for those kind of rides. And, and here's his five-year-old brother going, get me on that. And Nate's like, oh. You can see he's still, he started to do this. <laughs> and he's rubbing himself. And, and, uh, and so sure enough, we get up and Kobe, they get the bar out, you know, that little bar of the right height, and they get the bar out, and it hits here. Like, I, get, I reckon Nathan was going, please go over. Please go over his head so that we don't have to go on this ride. Please go over his head. Sure enough, it hits right here on his head, and we can go on the ride. Well, we go on it, and we got a photo, and I've got it, but we haven't got time this morning. We got a photo of it because it's fantastic. Because here's Nathan on with me, and I think I nearly lost this left arm. He was just, he's holding on to it so tightly. He's wrapped up around it and he's holding on to me. And you can see on his face in the photo, he's like this, his eyes are wide and he's holding on to me and he's leaning into me. He's all stiff and sore. Right behind him, there's Belinda and Kobe. And all you can see on Kobe is his hands out. Now, if you've met Kobe, he's a little blonde one that's running around. He's just like this. We're flying down this ride in this mist and his eyes are wide open. Nate's are closed. He's holding on like this. And Coach is like, ah, yes, let's go. We get off the ride. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Four times we went around. Each time Nathan's like, oh, enough. But you can see it. He's like, nah, the little brother's going there. I've got to go there. He's not going to show me up. My point is, with that story, is... No matter what season you're called into, I mean, I could ask you which one you want to be, and I'm guessing most people would go, I'd, I'd like to take on life like Kobe. I'd like to make the choices that Kobe made. The reality is I want to be both, because Nathan took on his fear four times. The kid was petrified. Four times he fronted it and said, no, nah, I'm going. I'm getting on. And he did it. He did it. I want to be both. I want to approach every season of life as a presence carrier and take them all on. Take every situation that the Lord um, brings to me and go and get on the ride. Get on the ride no matter how I'm feeling. I want to get on the ride. (laughs) We need to wrap this up.